Welcome to the Gospel Saves Podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. Please visit thegospelsaves.me. You can also visit The Gospel Saves on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Welcome back to our ongoing study of the problem of evil. Throughout our examination of this subject, a few verses have anchored our consideration. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45 is one of the verses I've brought up several times. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends his rain on the just and on the unjust. Now from this verse, I conclude that We can discern God's existence by looking at nature around us, and nature testifies that there is a God. And nature tells us something about God. It tells us that He is good. We can see that with how God treats all people equitably, in that He showers His blessings down upon them. But oftentimes it's difficult to see God's blessings when there is so much pain and suffering in our own lives or in the lives of those that we intersect. And that often leads people to wonder, does God really exist? Does suffering prove that God does not exist? Or does it prove that he's not good? Jesus says we can discern God is good by seeing the blessings that he showers down, but By the same token, if we see pain and suffering, doesn't that prove that God is not good? Now, in the past few videos, we've talked about what my initial answer to that question is, that Adam and Eve introduced suffering into the world by misusing the good gift of free will. They were tempted, and they followed their desires and ate of the fruit that God had outlawed in the garden. So evil was brought into the world by our choice, and God gave us a consequence for eating of the fruit. He says, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And death, a natural evil, entered the world because of our moral evil, because of our sin. So we're subject to illnesses or natural disasters or anything else which might lead to death because sin is in the world. But that's not a complete answer. That helps us to a degree, but it doesn't take us all the way. Because we still are confronted with the fact that good people suffer evil. And why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why do innocent children contract cancer and die? Why does God allow greedy people to oppress the innocent? These are the sorts of questions that atheists and believers in God are are left with, that we have to grapple with. How can a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? This takes us back to the Epicurean paradox that I've mentioned several different times. Epicurus, the Greek philosopher, asked a series of pointed questions. Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is not omnipotent. Is he able but not willing? then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? 
then whence cometh evil? Is he neither able nor willing? Then why call him God? Now, as far as I can tell, the Bible's view of God falls along the lines of Epicurus's second option. God is able to prevent evil, but is not always willing to do so. A few episodes ago, I used the, the game of chess to illustrate the exercise of free will. The game of chess is governed by some simple rules that tell us how each piece is supposed to move. But within those rules lies the possibility for an infinite number of games of chess. Now, the game of chess is a, is a good illustration because it shows us how free will operates within a closed system. Even though we live in a closed system, this does not limit the potential we have for exercising our free will. There are limitations there, but it leads to an infinite number of possible outcomes when we make a choice. And the realm that we live in, much like the game of chess, is governed by a system of rules. It is a closed system. And we've talked about how the laws of nature, for example, govern the realm in which we live. We describe those laws with words like gravity or entropy or mutation or adaptation. But we've also talked about how moral laws constrain our behavior. These are the laws that govern human conduct, if you will. And human free will operates within these constraints. One of the important things we must remember is that God built this closed system and he chooses to operate within the rules of that closed system. Now, it's true that God does sometimes choose to operate outside of those boundaries in order to ameliorate evil and its consequences. I think of the miracles performed by Jesus and his apostles. These miracles were good works. They relieved real suffering. So from time to time, God does operate outside of those boundaries, but he did so for a purpose. Not only did those miracles relieve the suffering, the very real suffering those people were experiencing, but they also testified to the, the validity of the message preached by Jesus and his apostles. So God does from time to time set aside the laws he's put in place in order to relieve pain and suffering. But God is not always willing to do this. In fact, I would argue that God never violates human sovereignty. He does not interfere with our choice to choose how we freely live our lives. He does not interfere with our freedom to choose how we live our lives. This is why I say that God is able to prevent evil, but he is not always willing to do so. He will not violate human sovereignty. He will not interfere with the operation of human free will. And I think this is a terribly critical point to bear in mind, that if God will not interfere with human sovereignty, then we have more reasons for suffering than simply God isn't willing to alleviate it or relieve it. Now, Epicurus might hear my explanation for God and and conclude that God is malevolent. How can a good God, who could prevent evil, be unwilling to do so? The flaw I see in Epicurus's reasoning is it assumes that suffering serves no purpose. 
So if we could prove that human suffering does serve some ultimate purpose, we could show how a good God is able to prevent evil, but may not always be willing to do so. Let's start with something I think we all can relate to. Have you noticed that we all have a tendency to be disposed to admire people who have overcome great obstacles? You think of, of athletes, for example, the Olympic Games. Oftentimes during the Olympic Games, we'll be shown stories of, of athletes who have overcome tremendous odds in order to achieve greatness on the, on the field of athletics. And we admire these people. These, these stories stir us. Why? Because we see adversity leading to the realization of human potential. We understand that we must go through adverse times in order to become all that we can be. You see this in the case of folks who are training to become Navy SEALs in what they call BUDS training. These, these folks are pushed to their absolute limits as far as their, their uh, physical abilities are concerned. And the reason why is Navy SEALs are intending to discover who really has the will power to see a, a task through to the very end. They want to see who was willing to lay down every shred of their energy to sacrifice their body in order to achieve the ultimate goal. So there has to be a tremendous amount of suffering and pain in order to achieve the objective. We see this in the case of high-altitude mountain climbers, how they will push themselves into what's known as the death zone, where breathing is very difficult, where the body is basically slowly dying in order to reach the summit. Now, we are naturally disposed to admire these people, but why? Because we know intuitively that in order to, to realize our full potential, we have to push ourselves. We have to be stretched. That there's an amount of sacrifice and pain that, that must be endured in order to become all we are intended to be. And the Bible agrees with that intuitive conclusion. That sovereign individuals cannot reach their full potential without a degree of suffering. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Notice what happens when we go through difficult times. Paul says, first of all, this produces endurance. This, these trials train us for future trials. They help us to push through and to learn how to persevere in the face of great obstacles. That endurance helps produce a refined character. And character, he says, goes on to encourage hope. Why would we need hope? Hope is the confident assurance that, that a better future awaits. We only need hope because of the dark times we have been through, and hope helps us to get through those dark times. So without the dark times, we have no reason to hope, and hope is very much a part of the human experience, and we need hope. We need hope in order to, to get through life. It's a part of our wiring. It's a part of who we are. So it's my belief that God introduced suffering into the natural realm for our good that there is a purpose to suffering. 
And that purpose to suffering is that this helps me become all that I can be in Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis, in his book, A Grief Observed, was faced with uh, mourning the death of his wife. His wife had passed away from cancer. And he talks about in that book how he wasn't scared of losing his faith. He was scared that he might discover something about God that, that uh, he had previously believed was untrue. And I thought that was a very interesting insight. And it's true, when we're going through tough times, it forces us to recalibrate our understanding of the world. And in fact, it may force us to recalibrate what we think about God. This is the natural consequence of going through difficult times. But that doesn't mean that the, the experience isn't worthwhile. Job, in Job chapter 42, verse number 3, admitted that he did not understand God, that he thought he did prior to going through this time of trouble, but had come to understand God much better. So there was a purpose in going through this time of trial. Job learned, he grew, he became better. And at the end of the day, we may not understand God's purpose for suffering. God's ways are not our ways. His purpose sometimes is, is shrouded from our view. So if we back up and we simply accept that trials help us grow in character, that trials help us grow our endurance, that trials make hope that much sweeter, then we can see a real purpose in suffering. So I conclude, my friends, that God has introduced suffering into our experience for a purpose, that it's not for our ill, it's not to torture us or torment us or to make us feel guilty, it's in order to help us grow. And it's in these times of trials that we gain a greater understanding not only of ourselves, but also of God. Thanks for listening to the Gospel Saves podcast. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find Acapeldridge on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know His perfect will. So